we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Batiste Sweat Activated and Touch Activated Dry Shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste Dry Shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. Hello and welcome to a special Christmas Day edition of Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. Merry Merry Christmas! Christmas! Today, you find us in a small village in the Thames Valley. It's Christmas morning. It's been snowing for days and shows no sign of letting up. We've unwrapped our gifts and are gathered waiting for the tree presents. A choir warbles ancient carols from the radio in the kitchen when unexpectedly there's a knock at the door. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound, the platform where readers crowdfund the books they really want to read. And I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously. And joining us for this festive edition, which is coming to you live, we're actually recording this on Christmas morning, uh, <laughs> are two new guests. Please welcome to Backlisted, Jackie Morris and Robert McFarlane. Great. Hey. Thank you, thank you. Nice to see you both. Hello, thanks for having us. And a happy Christmas to you too. Thank you very much. I always feel it sounds threatening when I say it. (laughs) Everything sounds threatening when you say it, Jackie. Well done for making it through another year. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and what a year, let's be honest. Mm. Robert McFarlane is the author of books about landscape, people and nature, including Underland, The Old Ways, The Wild Places, and with Jackie Morris, The Lost Words and The Lost Spells. He loves collaborating with musicians, including Johnny Flynn, Cosmo Sheldrake, Karin Polwart, Julie Fowlis, and the band Underworld. His books and writing have been widely adapted for film, theatre, radio and TV. He's a fellow of Emmanuel College, Cambridge, where he's lucky enough to spend his days talking about ideas with brilliant young people. If he could be a bird, he'd be a curlew. 
He, he, he didn't tell me that. I just <laughs> You intuited it, didn't you? Yeah, I just I took a stab in the dark. I was right, wasn't I? You, you were. Zoom's amazing for this kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, if uh, Robert says if he could be any character from literature, he'd be either Lyra Balacqua or Will Stanton from The mm-hmm. Dark is Rising, for reasons we shall explore in a moment. Now, I've got a question for you, Robert McFarlane. <laughs> I... Uh, was looking for some music for this episode today and I was looking for um, Vaughan Williams's arrangement of the Gloucestershire Wassail because I thought I might use it. And <laughs> I got off the shelf of my CD, one of my CDs of Hodier, Vaughan Williams's Christmas Cantata. Mm-hmm. This is a version that came out in 1990. There it is. Can you Great see cover. it there? Yeah. Now look at the cover. The cover is like a dark is rising what is it, it? Really describe what you is. can see well um peering peering down the lens but i can see misty landscapes it's a sort of casper david friedrich redrawn by by susan cooper's imagination we've got bulrushes the snow has settled all over that landscape yeah. well you the reason why you're so familiar with that robert might be because according to the credits here the front cover was drawn by rob mcfarlane <laughs> now is that your drawing that you did when you were about 14 it, it is amazingly i was making a, a good living at that time as an artist <laughs> um, and then i made the mistake of moving into words so um Terrible. that is uncanny also uncanny if if i see it right is the fact that you are wearing a, a mcfarlane tartan tie there uh, I, <laughs> Andy, is that- I actually am. That cannot be possible, can it? It does look like the most appallingly <laughs> obsequious gesture. <laughs> but but you, actually, explain it's a yourself, total... Miller. Explain yourself. Okay, so, well, just because we're all it's in Christmas. rooms on our own, it is Christmas. So I've You've got, got a, a new nice tie, tie for Christmas. I've got a nice green shirt and a red, mostly red tartan tie for some Christmas colours. And... I, perhaps not as much as you, Robert, but I am allowed to, as a miller, I'm allowed to wear the McFarlane tartan when you ah, go to the Royal Mile and they... they sub-clan stuff. I was yeah. just going to say, yes, yeah, so you're technically sub- subordinate to, to me. Is that, I think, is that I right? think there's no technicality involved. <laughs> yeah, straight, 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 That's what I expected. <laughs> well, I'm very touched. I'm very touched by that gesture and thank you for it, yeah. Jackie is a multi-award winning author and illustrator. She began her career in publishing, illustrating for magazines and newspapers before moving into book illustration and then writing. In 2005, the Seal Children won the Tia Nanog Award for a children's book in an authentically Welsh setting. The first ever winner of this was The Grey King Hmm. by Susan Cooper. Ah, the plot thickens. Jackie has illustrated more books than she can be bothered to count (laughs) (laughs) and written many too, including most recently The Unwinding, published by Unbound. Yay! Her work with Robert McFarlane has been described as, quote, a cultural phenomenon. She's currently working on The Book of Birds, written by Robert. The Space Between, a curious creature, part book, part leaf, funding via Unbound, and Mrs Noah's Song to be illustrated by James Mayhew. If she were a bird, <laughs> I've received no information from from my spirit helper about what bird she would be. Jackie, if you were a bird, what bird would you be? So now I'll go for raven. Oh, good. We have many that fly above the house and quite partial to the intellect of a raven. Yeah. And that wicked eye. 
Wish me Merry Christmas again because the cold hand of fear is running. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, One of my publishers did say to me, um, can you do us a Merry Christmas message for social media? And I said, no, you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Jackie lives and works in a small cottage in Pembrokeshire, garlanded with cats and dogs. Yes, I do. It's quite it's nice true. here. It's very messy, though. It looks totally authentic, I must say. What a yeah. brilliant... Yeah, I've got a proper backdrop here. Yeah. <laughs> you my really problem, have. My problem is that most of the mess contains books, and I go to tidy up, and then one just falls open, and then I start reading, and that's the day gone. So I never get further than about 10 minutes of tidying up. Yeah, many of our listeners will relate to that. We should talk about the book that we're that we're here to talk about, which is The Darkest Rising by Susan Cooper. First published in the UK by Chatham and Windus in 1973 and as a puffin in 1976. And it's the second book in the sequence also called The Darkest Rising, which began with Oversea Understone in 1965 and then continued on with Greenwich, The Grey King, and finally in 1977, Silver on the Tree. It's worth mentioning that the latest Puffin editions of this sequence have new introductions by a certain Robert McFarlane and jacket illustrations, not by Rob McFarlane, but by <laughs> Joe McLaren, the brilliant Joe McLaren. Mm. But before we summon the wild hunt out of the cosmos, roaring towards us from the great dark thunderclouds this Christmas day, John, what have you been reading this week? I've been reading a book that's full of snow. It's called When the Whales Leave by Yuri Rikthu. That's as, probably as good a pronunciation as I'm going to get. Yuri died in 2008. He was the son of a hunter and the grandson of a shaman. He lived or was born in a small town called Ulan on the Bering Sea. It's the little bit of Russia, Siberia, that is, is nearly uh, Alaska. Um, so it comes from a, a sort of a hunter-gatherer culture. And this story is a beautiful kind of creation myth, a creation myth that he decided to create for his, for, for, for his own culture. And it starts with a woman who becomes obsessed with whales. Her name is Now, and she comes from nowhere. She comes from the land, and she becomes obsessed with a whale. She falls in love with a whale. And in the end, the whale falls in love with her, and it's through the force of that love that the whale decides to leave the sea, and they become a couple, and they populate this sandy spit of land, um, and the book follows through the generations. Now, it, it would be fair to say, lives a, a prodigiously long time. Her first children are whales. Her second children are, are humans. And the story really is a fable. It's a fable about how we lose touch with nature and how we lose touch with the sense of being part of nature because descendant, the descendants of now become more violent, more proud, without giving everything away. The denouement of the book is is the killing of a whale. But that's a bit of a plot spoiler. It is a bit of a plot spoiler, <laughs> but I'm 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 running with it. It's one of the strongest things I've read in a long, long time, and has a sort of an, an authenticity. There are two extraordinary things about it that that I didn't know. The first is that it's translated from the Russian by Ilona Shavas, who I work with literally sits next to me at work and she must have given me a copy of this book <laughs> a year ago well <laughs> and i did that thing that 
we should never do and just said that looks great and, and then never looked at it again and then the second thing is i suddenly saw uh, the the notable writer and artist jackie morris saying that it was a masterpiece on instagram and so it proves the curious thing for me was the way that i found it somebody had been drawing in the silent unwinding and put up a, a photograph on Twitter. And Bathsheba DeMuth said, how come I don't know this book? Because I love this artist. So I went and stalked her on Twitter and about halfway down her feed, she'd reviewed this book. And I just fell in love with it. It's, it's wild, it's beautiful. The poetry in it is amazing. The message is it's that one about staying connected, really. Um, I love now. She does live an amazing time. She's very quietly wise, and people ignore her at their peril. Um, I'll read a little bit, and you can sort of see why I think it, it fits on, on, on today's podcast. Hard they were, those first days of winter. Ryu, that's the man, dug out an earthen shelter, propping up its walls with tree branches scavenged from the shore and roofing it over with a layer of sod and dried grass. He made a pike from a broken walrus bone and killed a wild deer, and Ryu and Nao laid the deerskin atop their bed to stave off the ancient cold of the earth. Their carefree summer days now seemed to her a bright dream, unreal, sometimes looking at the endless white desert of the sea, riven with gigantic ice hummocks and shards, shining with a cold glow, now couldn't believe that Ryu had ever been a whale at all. The wind riffled up through the piles of upended ice flows, then clambered onto the shore, shrouding everything along its path in snow. It raged above the low earthen cave, trying to level it with the snow-covered plain, and it raged and howled all the more when each morning it discovered a freshly melted black opening, steaming with human living breath. That's just a little taster. Mm. I mean, it's a perfect winter read. Andy, what have you been reading? Regular listeners to that list will know uh, that we face a challenge uh, whenever we talk about one of these books, which is we have to do it in five minutes. And I'm going to, but I'm sticking to that today. And uh, Birchos is going to help me by giving me a two minute signal when we get to two <laughs> minute signal, right? So here we go. No tempo. I've been reading a book called The Air Year by Caroline Bird. Caroline Bird, this is her fifth collection of poetry. Um, I loved her last collection, which was published in 2017, called In the Days of Prohibition. And this new one, The Air Year, uh, has won the Forward Prize for Best Collection this year, and it's been shortlisted for the Costa alongside that book of poems by Martha Spracklin, John, that you talked about a few weeks ago. And a bit like... Um, uh, when I was talking about P Piranesi by Susanna Clarke. Now, that wasn't, that's a book that took Susanna Clarke many years to write and somehow felt incredibly relevant to this particular strange year. And the same is true of the air year. It's actually a, a series of poems mostly about a relationship, but there's something about the nature of the idea of time and flight and transition and suspension within that relationship that feels very uh, relevant to 2020. Caroline Bird's poetry is passionate and clever and funny. This book is occasionally filthy, but uh, it's also tremendously moving. I found it tremendously moving to read this book that has been published during this particular year 
and find it so resonant. And I wanted to read you a bit, but I wanted to get it right. So I decided what I'd do is I'd record it in advance. I, I chose a poem called The Tree Room, which is a Christmas poem. It's a poem seemingly inspired by a particular place in this, in fact, I think a rehab clinic, a particular place, particular Christmas. But when I read the poem, I was thinking, well, I think this has something to say about this particular Christmas this year and what Christmas represents to us and what it means wherever and however we're spending it this year and whatever our year has been like and whatever is coming in the year ahead. So uh, in the poem uh, that you're about to hear, Caroline Bird incorporates lines from a song and not just a song, a record, in fact, a CD, a specific song. So um, here it is. The Tree Room. Splayed out like walruses on the carpet, we made Christmas decorations as Cat Stevens sang from the CD player kindly procured by the councillor. It was my first activity. I'd come straight from detox to the tree room where Carly handed me a Pritt stick, two polystyrene balls and a strip of googly eye stickers. Scott was an advertising mogul for a famous soft drinks company. He made an angel. Oh, baby, baby, it's a wild world. Carly had three estranged children, was six weeks sober, bright-eyed and fit, wore neon sportswear all day and had long, loud conversations in the telephone corner at night. She made an ambitious red-nosed reindeer with pipe cleaner antlers. I remember how warm it was in there. I painted the polystyrene balls with glue, then wrapped them in cotton wool. None of us spoke. I looked at them both. Foreheads furrowed, glitter pens busy, big legs tucked sideways beneath them. My snowman was implausibly fluffy and his eyes were too far apart, but Carly said, cute. I hung him on a plastic branch. We sat and stared at our handiwork, knees pulled up to our chins. A lot of nice things turned bad out there. I know what happened after they left. The sad, violent details of their respective returns to the world. I know the storm I'm shaking with today. But then, we didn't know. I'll always remember you like a child, girl. We were sheltered, encased, forgiven. Reduced to a communal hum in a room where our only purpose was to serve with childlike industry the beauty of a small, fake tree. I can't recommend that book highly enough. I know I always say that. It's become one of my inverted catchphrases. <laughs> but I can't recommend it highly enough. It's called The Air Year, and it's by Caroline Bird. Brilliant. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. is the theme from The Dark is Rising by Handspan, Brilliant. a guy called Rob Colling, who's recorded a whole album of imaginary music from a, a, a BBC 70s adaptation of The Dark is Rising, <laughs> inspired by the Radiophonic Workshop and by Paddy Kingsland's music for The Changes. Great. And um, it's absolutely wonderful. The whole thing is wonderful. We're going to hear a couple of other bits during the course of the show. Amazing. You can buy it on Bandcamp. Just search for The Dark is Rising and Handspan. And um, when I mentioned this to you, Robert, you, you said this was partly inspired by The the Dark is Reading, the big um, Twitter read-along that happened. When did that happen? I think it was three years ago. I mean, that, that music is amazing. And we should be clear, shouldn't we, that the 1970s adaptation of The Dark is Rising never existed. Never right? happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just yeah. before everyone starts searching uh, avidly yeah. for, the, for that brilliant lost BBC adaptation, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. So the, mu- the music is to an imaginary thing. It's, it's funny, I, I, listening to it, I had a big smile on my face, but I also had a shiver down my spine. That, that, the kind of undersong of the crows there that, 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 that mm. become such crucial birds in... In in the dark is rising, but it's so so it's like a synth version of a medieval heraldic <laughs> entry song, and then the echotron gets it going, and it's it's a wonderful mashup. So yes, I think it it was partly uh, sort of boosted on um, by by this huge uh, readathon that we did on on Twitter, in sort of in 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 real time, as it were, keeping to the the calendar of the dark is rising through through the midwinter and then on through Christmas Day. And we had so many people involved. I think this read-along is an annual event now. When does the action of the book take place? When, can, when do people um, start reading it and when do they stop reading it? 
Well, it's so I wasn't the first to to do this. I mean, this this is the wonderful thing is that people do read this this book in in real time. Some of them read, read yeah. it annually. Many of your listeners will will be part way through this process again. And I think there was a there was an annual readathon already uh, organised by someone on the west coast of America, um, which I was blithely unaware of. So we we began to start our own, and it, it came up with this fabulous hashtag: the dark is reading. And you know, listeners mm. can still search for that. And this absolute. A blizzard of 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 content pops up. Uh, Will Stanton, our our hero, is is about to to have his eleventh birthday on on Midwinter Eve, when his life will change. And so we begin the book a little bit before solstice, and then we read on really day by day. But of course, though the calendar ticks on, uh, the landscape through which we're moving and which we're inhabiting changes drastically. So there is a sort of calendrical time, but then we enter. We enter mythic time, and then we end in at some point in in Advent. Um, Jackie, can you remember when you first read Susan Cooper? I can, partly because I wasn't much of a reader when I was a child because we didn't have many books in the house. But I remember watching Jack and Ori, and um, on Jack and Ori they had this Oversea Under Stone story, and I got so caught up in it that I didn't want to wait till the next day. Um, this is in the days when you had to do that because <laughs> you couldn't just binge on box sets. So I I got pocket money and I went to WH Smith's, <laughs> which is where we got books in Evesham, and I found a <laughs> copy of um, Oversea Under Stone. And um, I think it must have been out for a while because um, I managed then to work my way through all of them as they came out. Yeah, and I seem I I don't know why whether it's just that the book is so strong, but I think it was a summer holiday as well when I was reading it, and in Devon, not Cornwall, but <laughs> you know it's it it threads close, doesn't it? All the time, little bits of it snag at your life. I think that that Jackanory Jackie is one of the ones that they used live. They did a bit of live reconstruction with 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 actors in it. <laughs> Because I have a I have a very dim memory. I think it was in '69, something like that. Mm. Um, but uh, so I would only have been eight. Yeah, and seems Rob like... was not even a twinkle. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never read Oversea Understone uh, before we started preparing for this episode, and it doesn't have a brilliant reputation. Not least, I mean, I think Susan Cooper thinks it's slightly silly or under undercooked maybe or she'd learned more by the time she wrote the dog yeah. is rising eight years later but i thought on its own terms it works really well as a kind of five go to cornwall and have a wicker man adventure it's pretty uh <laughs> it's it's pretty unimpeachable really i, I loved it um robert where, let me ask you when um when and where were you when you first read The Dark is Rising or Susan, or encountered Susan Cooper for the first time? All of them, all of them in the summer of 1989. I, I mentioned this in the, in the introductions to these, these new Puffin editions, this wonderful, wonderful Joe McCarran covers. Um, yeah, it was that I was absolutely terrified by nuclear war. I mean, I know we all were. Um, I, I'm not claiming special, special status for that, but I, I, I would come downstairs weeping. You know, the fallout was, 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 was the end of, uh, of, of the world, but not the end of life, because you had to live through it. Um, and and then 1989 happened, and my dad brought back a little bit of the Berlin Wall, I think, um, some point later that year, and just this sense that maybe the world wouldn't get blown away. 
and I, I would be able to play squash, you know, the Wednesday after next or whatever it was. <laughs> you know? Oh um, God! Uh, yeah, that was what I was really focused on. That was that was nuclear war's biggest threat to me. Was it was the end of squash? But and, and I, I read them, and I, I did read them partly under the covers. And I had a little mini mag light torch. I don't know if you remember those, which you could sort of unscrew, and they would become a candle. And I would hold that in my teeth. Not good for my my own sizes. And then I, and and shine the light on the pages, and they just I just gulped them down. Jackie, did you? Was there a? There must have been a bit of a gap then between reading the first one and then moving on to the the later ones. Yeah, there must have been. I mean, it's that's there didn't seem to be though. But mm. when I reread them this time, um, I I still loved Oversea Under Stone. But goodness me, when you start when you go into the next one, there is a gear shift, isn't there? Yeah. Um, uh, and it's it just settles into your soul so much sweeter, really. Hmm. I mean, I think it's it's because it's because of the the the, the fact that it's that run up to Christmas. I mean, I think for a lot of people, I read it in 1974. I suppose I had the Chateau book. I got it from the school library. Uh, I think it's Alan Corber is the illustrator who did that. Oh, oh, they're amazing, amazing covers. I just remember that there was a dark face, which you can see. Like a, and I I have a feeling, I can't remember in my head whether I'd, this was before or after I'd read Lord of the Rings. I really can't. But I read it and it was, and I think this is going to be the thing that everybody of a certain age says, is Will Stanton was just, you wanted to be Will Stanton. Mm. I wanted to be mm. Will Stanton. I wanted to be an old one. I wanted to have these powers. The way that the family Christmas is represented, it was important to me that it wasn't a farm. So, you know, we weren't, we didn't have a farm either. I really wished I lived on a farm, but we didn't. We had guinea pigs and they've got rabbits. Um, so it was all my, my sort of suppressed rural fantasies. Mm-hmm. But Will Stanton was exactly that. It was, it, it's a very kind of small town or village, mm-hmm. early 70s Christmas, um, you know, with the sort of radio and the TV and the, and the tree and the, um, so there's a there's a huge there's a huge amount of nostalgia I think around the book and the, the build up to the book before the, the gear change when it suddenly goes wham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a tribute to Susan Cooper's skill as a writer. Actually, I don't know what you all felt, but rereading them or reading them for this, she manages to make those three children from the first book from Undersea, Oversea Under Stone they're recognisably the same three children in the mm. later books, even though they've been parachuted in from a different genre. <laughs> <laughs> but actually that works really well. It's one of the ways in which the five books talk to one another. And, and, and you know, I think if you spent all your time in Will's company for all five books, that would probably be too, much. too narrow, right? Mm. My, my, my now eight-year-old is called Will, um, not entirely uncoincidentally. <laughs> and uh, I read him uh, uh, obviously under Stone, and um, uh, and it really gripped him. So it's st- it's still doing. I think that's the thing we must sort of say very early on about these books is they just they grip with such force, and they yeah. millions and millions of readers across what nearly uh, 40, 40 years, fifty years now, uh, a year on year, they meet it whatever age they are, whatever. Growing up in a climate change crisis, in a nuclear crisis, in a Trumpian crisis, whatever you're dark, the dark yes. is always rising, and <laughs> um, and it speaks to them. Let's listen to a clip now. Um, 
This is a clip of Susan Cooper herself, which was recorded at a lecture she gave at Pembroke College, Oxford in 2017. And I thought this was really interesting. Here she is talking about how uh, she felt writing the first book and then The Dark is Rising. And we have to remember that when The Dark is Rising was published, there weren't many books around like The Dark is Rising. And I wrote a fantasy that was eventually published by another publisher as Oversea Under Stone. Ten years later, after writing a bunch of other things, I realised that it was the first in a five-book sequence. And I wrote the next one, and then the next three. This second book was titled The Gift of Grammary. Grammary, as you probably know, being an old word for magic. But my editor thought people would think it was a book about grammar. (laughs) (laughs) So we called it The Dark is Rising. At the time, there was so little fantasy being published that when I sent the editor the manuscript, I wrote, Dear Margaret, I'm afraid this is a very peculiar book. (laughs) Well, it is too, I suppose. But as with most fantasy, it depends who's reading it. I gave the manuscript to my husband, who was a professor of metallurgy at MIT, and he said, This is a very good book until that horse starts to fly. (laughs) That is such a great line. (laughs) But I I, I think what what I think what I felt was interesting about that, Jackie, is you know, perhaps a flying you would you would think it wouldn't be a problem, would you, in nineteen seventy five, a flying horse. We're much more used to flying horses here in twenty twenty than perhaps we were in the nineteen seventies. I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I, I I can't go back to what I was reading before. Really, the the only other books I remember strongly from my childhood are um, Top of the Otter and oh, Alan Garner, mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then The Call of the Wild. Um, so I can't compare it to anything else like this. And what were the what were the things that you remembered? before you reread you know if i said to you the dark is rising sequence what were the what are the images what are the characters what's the thing the feeling of the of the books that you that you retained i'm of an age now where memory is uh, so useful <laughs> as to be almost absent so, <laughs> so what was really lovely reading them all again i thought shall i just read the one no i need to read all of them i have to have them all and reading them all again i i have to be honest and say with oversea under stone it woke memories yeah. um that were gone mm including how hot summers were then. Yes. And they seemed to go on forever. I lived for the bits in between the end of school and then the start mm. of it, which was disappointing that it happened again for another year. Um, <laughs> and um, the one overwhelming image for me is her and the hunter mm. because I fell deeply in love with that character. I didn't want to be Will. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to ride with the wild hunts. I wanted that pack of hounds. I wanted that white horse. And boy, did I cover those antlers. Yeah. And I still do. It's interesting, isn't it, Robert? Your backdrop, which people Mm. can't see, is Hearn the Hunter on the cover of the, I suppose, the most famous cover, really, of, of The Dark is Rising. 
Michael Heslop cover. Yeah. He he did the nineteen seventies puffin covers and the the dark is rising. I mean they're all they're all good, but the dark is rising is one of the, I think it's one of the greatest children's book covers ever uh, ever designed. Uh, undoubtedly, and um, Mac Mac Max. If you ever meet Max Port, you know author of Lanny and uh, and um, uh, grief is the thing with. If you want to just freeze him, it's like can't you just 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 hold up that cover or even just <laughs> just mention it, and he instantly his whole body begins to kind of shiver and tremble. It's it's one of the eeriest images I I know, full stop, and for one of the eeriest novels I know, full stop, and and the two together. We should say it. So there's this sort of antlered figure. With an owl face. I mean, all the Hislop covers yeah. do this wonderful superimposition. They sort of collage work, and then there's a there's a sort of floating ultraviolet crosshair just in the middle of this snowy landscape. Mm. So this figure is riding towards you, out of the cover, out of out of the winter landscape, out of Christmas. And you, of course, you can't call Hearn. Hearn. Hearn isn't evil, and Hearn isn't good. Hearn is a force that stands outside the Manichaean struggle that, that, that preoccupies all, all five of these books. Yeah. That's Jack that's Jackie coming to wish you happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Do not open the door. <laughs> Robert, let me ask you that we've talked about um Will Stanton and we talked about Hearn. Mm. And one of the things I think Susan Cooper does in these books, which is so interesting, is the relationship between characters that live on the page and archetypes mm, or, yeah. or or she would not say myth i don't know if she would say myth i'm not sure but what is she doing there what is the relationship between you know capturing the child with the fictional character and drawing on a kind of tradition of 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 british mythology and history well i don't know if you mean merriman particularly who who sort of is and isn't merlin i mean every, everything flickers in these books i think that's yeah. that's that's part of their eeriness is they they look as though they're locked into manichaeanism into a sort of um op- opposition um but they never are nothing resolves easily there are there are forces opposed to one another but there is no victory you ca- these are not rewritings of myth transplantings of arthurianism though they've been read as such and so that 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 eeriness um that we that we keep talking about i think has to do with this refusal of things to settle uh so uh, it goes back actually we all sort of laughed at, and, and they laughed in the lecture when cooper said that uh you know gra- <laughs> he didn't want they think it was a book about grammar uh, but it is a book about grammar and the fact that grammar and grammary are from the same root language is magic yeah uh, grammar is magic. It has power. Uh, we we utter it for good or for ill. Grammar sediments and controls. Uh, it is uh, utterance that executes action in the world. And these books are full of grammar in that sense, the magical powers of language spoken, language read. So um, yes, there is myth here, but there's also this mobile, momentary flicker of the world that's always ongoing in it. Far be it from a man wearing a McFarlane tartan tie to deny the power of the unconscious. Um, but, um, but I, I, I want to pick up on, on what you just said, Robert. Here's Susan Cooper talking about the relationship between fantasy, the genre of fantasy, and the unconscious. Those of us who write fantasy, we're not quite normal. We see things that aren't there. We write stories about an ordinary world in which extraordinary things happen. And we don't altogether know what we're doing. It's the hauntings in the unconscious mind of the fantasy writer 
not understood or even recognised, that lead him or her to choose fantasy as a medium. It's really not a conscious choice. I've realised over the past 50 years that I seem to be incapable of writing fiction that doesn't express itself through fantasy. It hardly ever works when I try it. The unconscious is in charge. And it's the unconscious mind of the reader that determines whether or not he or she responds to fantasy. So let me ask you both, first Jackie and then Robert, if you had to categorise The Dark is Rising, is it a children's book? Is it a fantasy book? Is it something else? What is it? It's a book. (laughs) And one of the things that I find in my work is... um, it's a curious thing how booksellers like to categorise books and build borders around them. As someone who works in the children's book industry, I've heard writers say, um, are you ever going to write a grown-up book? As if, you know, this is your ambition. You, you start off as a child and then you grow up. Or most of us do. Some of us don't bother. So if you start off writing for children, then you, you kind of, uh, you, you get better at writing and then you can write for grown-ups. <laughs> But actually, um, these books hold my attention at 59, as they did when I was, yes. I don't know, about 8 or 9 or 11. or Yeah. And that might be the most miraculous thing about them. Yeah. I think if you're going to write a book that will um, talk to so many different ages, you, you have, it, it's so much harder. Um, the the prose that she uses it's very spare. She, there's not a word wasted. I don't know how edited they were. It would be lovely to talk to her about the process of it. Um, it's it's a craftsmanship that she has that is just beautiful, and I think that's why I love them. Now I keep thinking, what would I put on the cover? Because it's a strange cover, <laughs> the the Hearn cover. Yes, it it's, is. Because he's so small, he's so slight in the pages, in the written pages, but so strong in the mythology. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robert, you in your introduction, you, you've got a lovely phrase. You say, uh, these aren't books for children, they're books for people. Well, Jackie Morris taught me that phrase. Um, so there really should be a footnote to, to her. Um, it's, wonderful, it's a wonderful <laughs> phrase. Yeah, they're books for people. Um, I, I also note in the introduction that when you meet a kind of fellow sort of Cooperian or whatever we would be, or a fellow fellow the dark is risingist. Um, there's almost like the Masonic handshake. You know, you sort of you you begin a phrase and you say, you know, tonight will be bad, and if they repeat back, to, and tomorrow will be beyond imagining. You, you know, you know that you know that. Or when the dark comes rising, six shall turn it back. Three from the circle. Three. From the so it absolutely um, speaks to 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 two people, um, and I think it is. There's this very clear running prose that Jackie spoke of, um, very, very clear watered. I, I could read, I mean, maybe I could read a, 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 one of the clearest, brightest sections of the book. Yes, please. Which really is a Christmas, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a midwinter day section, but I think anyone listening on, on Christmas Day, and this is the, the gear shift that Jackie talked about, the moment when everything goes strange, everything flickers and goes eerie. So Will wakes up on, 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 on midwinter day. In the first shining moment, he saw the whole strange, familiar world glistening white. 
the roof of the outbuildings mounded into square towers of snow, and beyond them all the fields and hedges buried, merged into one great flat expanse, unbroken white to the horizon's brim. Will drew in a long, happy breath, silently rejoicing. Then, very faintly, he heard the music again, the same phrase. He swung round, vainly searching for it in the air, as if he might see it somewhere like a flickering light. Where are you? It had gone again. And when he looked back through the window, he saw that his own world had gone with it. In that flash, everything had changed. The snow was there as it had been a moment before, but not piled now on roofs or stretching flat over lawns and fields. There were no roofs. There were no fields. There were only trees. Will was looking over a great white forest, a forest of massive trees, sturdy as towers and ancient as rock. They were bare of leaves, clad only in the deep snow that lay untouched along every branch, each smallest twig. They were everywhere. They began so close to the house that he was looking out through the topmost branches of the nearest tree, could have reached out and shaken them if he dared to open the window. All round him the trees stretched to the flat horizon of the valley. The only break in that white world of branches was away over to the south where the Thames ran. He could see the bend in the river, marked like a single stilled wave in this white ocean of forest, and the shape of it looked as though the river were wider than it should have been. Another track from Handspan's imagined soundtrack to The Dark is Rising. And that track is called I Do Not Dance, which if you're familiar with this novel, you'll probably know where that fits. <laughs> Landscape. Mm. Yeah. Robert, the mm. bit you read that uh, so, so beautifully, that's to do with landscape. Mm. I, my feeling reading these novels was... Susan Cooper uses the relationship with different parts of the British Isles in a way that I, I mean, really only we've mentioned it before, but really only I can think of Alan Garner yeah. Yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, she summons a wildwood there. You know, suddenly the time slip is absolute instant. Suddenly the roofs and the fields are gone. There are no fields because deforestation hasn't happened. There's a white forest of snow bearing oak stretching all the way to the horizon. The only thing that breaks them is the river. Uh, and we, we've, we've gone back 8,000 8, years um, to an impossible forest. I think she's part of a, a, a great uh, tradition of landscape writers, as I think of them, who are also writers of fantasy. Uh, and that is, that, that is Alan Garner. It's, um, it's, it's Susan Cooper. It's Robert Holdstock, who's probably one of the the, the, the lesser known of these. If, if you ever want to do a Lavondis or a Mythago Wood uh, yeah. on here, I'd be very interested to talk about that. Uh, and actually, I think Philip Pullman is part of it as yeah. well, because Oxford is a landscape. And, and, and the ability to, to use a subtle knife and slice time open, as Susan Cooper does there, and then just step through it. What I didn't read, of course, is that Will, as, as one does, if the snow falls and you wake up first and you see that brightness, 
around the curtains. You rush to wake up your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, but no one will wake in Will's house. Mm. Mm. Yes, that's really elemental, uh, I, I felt, in my reading. I don't know what you thought, Jackie. The way, the, the way, certainly in The Darkest Rising and in the later novels, the way in which parents and family and friends can be suspended or removed, mm. leaving you with just your wits to rely on. I mean, I found that, I think I would have found that scary as a, as a child. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but how many times would you love to be able to do that as an adult? <laughs> what turn people off suspend just, just them go, I, that's enough of you now <laughs> yeah that's one of the things i loved about these was that slipping through time i so wanted to be able to do that i i would love to see britain as it used to be um many years ago um but i'd like to come back to some central heating so i want to move between the two <laughs> <laughs> British fantasy writers tend instead to have a very strong sense of time and place. This is Susan Cooper talking about exactly this, about um, the relationship between place and time. Added to that compost heap that feeds the imagination. We're given it by these islands that are so soaked in their centuries of human occupation. Robert McFarlane writes about it beautifully. When I was growing up, the past was all around me. I could see Windsor Castle from my bedroom window. On my way to school, I passed a hummock that was an Iron Age fort. One day, a local farmer who was ploughing a pasture found himself digging up a Roman pavement. All over Britain, our cities and our buildings and our countryside are full of echoes. And along with the imaginative awareness of time goes this strong sense of place, especially where Alan Garner and I are concerned. Alan's work is rooted in the part of Cheshire which produced generations of his family and where he still lives. And the Darkest Rising sequence belongs to the part of Buckinghamshire where I grew up and to the piece of Gwynedd in Wales where my grandmother was born and where my parents spent the last 20 years of their lives. These were my places, etched into my imagination from childhood. And it made no difference that I was writing about them from the other side of the Atlantic, having by then married an American and moved to New England. I was writing out of what the Welsh call hereith, a yearning homesickness that never goes away. Remarkable, that, that is precisely the, the, the what I responded to in, in this sequence more than almost anything else because I we emigrated to New Zealand in 1976 huh. so all my all my puffins have got little you can see they've got little New Zealand dollar signs huh. on so these these books were my connection hmm. vital connection with that that sense of Englishness and of place I'm sure like you Jackie each year there would be a new one and I mean, it was the the thing that I looked forward to more than anything else. And 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 hearing you read that that snow passage, uh, Robert, it is it's one of the, it's one of the great passages mm. I think in twentieth mm. century uh, uh, children's literature. Mm. It's, it's mm. people's literature. 
People Session. <laughs> 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 As we call it on Backlisted, literature. <laughs> yeah. You can get that uh, sense of Herith as well for the pages of the book. I think it, it's, it is um, when you rediscover these books and realize that they are they speak to you as much now as they did when you were to the child that's still inside you. That kind of ache to be back in the pages of them, yes. that, that's Herith as well. It's really interesting thinking of her as an, as an exile writer. Yes, actually, um, you know, we think she's sort of as such an English writer, but actually, she's an she's an exile writer. And you're an exile in space, John. But we're all exiles from our childhoods. That's that's the one exile. That's the one journey we all make. And so we're looking back into to that that you know the country we 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 can't cross the border into. And and Will Stanton is you know he's the go between. He he can make that journey. Uh, for us, there's a, there's a wonderful phrase from early 20th century archaeology: shadow sites. And this was when archaeology was starting to get broken open by the technological uh, kind of dream vision of, of aerial photography. So suddenly, you could look down onto the landscape from above. You could see the pattern in the carpet. You could see the hill fort that you can't walk up because you're too close to it at six feet above it. But when you're 600 feet above it, you can see this the shape in the land. Uh, shadow sites were so called because when the light was low in winter, midwinter light, nice low light, it, it, it set the shadows long across even low patterns in the landscape. And so archaeology became a way of, of, of sort of seeing shadow sites. And that was, that was the time travel which perspective made possible. And I think she does, she shows us the shadow sites uh, in this book. And suddenly we move we move into back into the Neolithic, back into the and into realms we've we've never even seen before. Mm. Um, I'm going to read you what I think must be K. Webb from Puffing K. Webb's blurb for The Dark Is Rising from the 70s Puffin edition, not from the back cover because they've simplified it. But hmm. I just want to I just want to share this with you because. Whenever we've done one of these books on Backlisted, we found that those... Do you remember, John, when we did A Long Way From Verona by Jane Garden? Uh, one of the things that Kay Webber had written is, this book is suitable for girls and sensitive boys over the age of 12. <laughs> we were those soldiers. We, we were those soldiers. So, so this is what Kay Webber wrote. And then, Jackie, I think we'll then come to your reading. Four Days to Christmas. So why couldn't Will feel happy? Especially as the snow he always wanted on his midwinter birthday was really coming this time. But things seemed out of key this midwinter's eve, as if someone was trying to tell him something in a language he couldn't understand. Animals seemed afraid when he came near them, and there was even something frightening about the snow-filled sky. And whatever made that tramp take one look at him and scuttle off in such terror? Even his friend Mr Dawson the farmer made things worse, staring as if he could see something in him that Will didn't know about and earnestly pressing that queer iron talisman on him as if it might save him from some deadly peril. It's a horrible day, said Will suddenly. It's creepy. And he was right. <laughs> this was no ordinary snow and no ordinary Christmas. Later, he began to understand the strange otherworldly fate that had destined him from birth, seventh son of a seventh son as he was, to be an old one, a more than human link in the fight between light and the ever-invading forces of darkness in the world. 
who's ever had as blurb written as well as that mm. for any of their books not me yeah, that's for sure isn't it? absolutely brilliant first class it's a nice one it's a chime child isn't it a seventh son of a seventh son yeah. is it uh. i like a chime jackie have you chosen a passage you'd like to read for us i did and this is from uh, the darkest rising and is the, the betrayal chapter, which doesn't begin with betrayal and has much about it that is what I feel when I read books. I'm always fascinated by how people read and how these little symbols translate into stories. Um, so, Will was never able afterwards to tell how long he spent with the Book of Grammarie. So much went into him from its pages and changed him that the reading might have taken a year, yet so totally did it absorb his mind that when he came to an end, he felt that he had only that moment begun. It was indeed not a book like other books. There were simple enough titles of each page, of flying, of challenge, of words of power, of resistance, of time through doors. But instead of presenting him with a story or instruction, the book would give simply a snatch of verse or a bright image, which somehow had him instantly in the midst of whatever experience was involved. He might read no more than one line, I have journeyed as an eagle, and he was soaring suddenly aloft as if winged, learning through feeling, feeling the way of resting on the wind and tilting round the rising column of air, of sweeping and soaring, of looking down at patchwork green hills capped with dark trees and a winding, glinting river between. And he knew as he flew that the eagle was one of the only five birds who could see the dark, and instantly he knew the other four, and in turn he was each of them. And he read, You come to the place where is the oldest creature that is in this world. And he that has fared furthest afield, the eagle of Gwenabi. And Will was up on that bare crag of rock above the world, resting without fear on a grey-black glittering shelf of granite, and his right side leaned against a soft gold-feathered leg and a folded wing, and his hand rested beside a cruel steel-hard claw, while in his ear a harsh voice whispered the words that would control wind and storm, sky and air, cloud and rain and snow and hail and everything in the sky save the sun and the moon the planets and the stars yeah oh don't stop (laughs) (laughs) so great brilliant she quotes in 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 that lecture Tolkien saying and I, I love this it's so simple but it's it's so exactly what that passage shows she puts the reader into the writer's dream uh, and I think that's that that sense of being completely convincing. That she quotes the uh, the American librarian as well, Lillian Smith, about creative imagination, saying, "It's more than mere invention. It is that power that creates out of abstractions life. It goes to the heart of the unseen, and puts that which is so mysteriously hidden from ordinary mortals into the clear light of their understanding." Or at least of their partial understanding. I think that's so. I think that's so exactly what she does, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? You, you, that this idea that that 
you know, you're saying, Andy, that there weren't many fantasy uh, novels at that time, but that that group of people around at the same time, Alan Garner, she'd mentioned Penelope Lively, she'd mm-hmm. mentioned Diana Wynne-Jones, mm-hmm. and then, as, as as Robert says, going on to, to Pullman. The, the thing that is fascinating to me when you think about manichaeism and light and dark is that they, they were all children of the, the Second World War, mm-hmm. so they'd, they'd all grown up with this unstable threatening you know real real jeopardy beyond that the jeopardy that most children feel we had something else with mythic overtones too a very strong sense of good and evil and that came from a more direct source than books it was all around us because we were living through world war ii which began when i was five years old our world was noisy and dangerous Things that we took for granted, because children know nothing but the life that surrounds them. My family's house was 25 miles outside London, between the A40 and the main railway line to the west. This was an area so attractive to German bombers that an anti-aircraft post had been set up at the end of our road, which of course attracted the bombers even more. Our air raid shelter was in the back lawn, At the beginning of the war, everybody's dad had lifted up the grass, dug a big hole, lined it with the curved sheets of corrugated iron issued by the government, and put the earth and the grass back on top. So into this cave we dived when the air raid siren wailed and the bombers came rumbling overhead. Generally it was at night, and our mother read stories to my brother and me by candlelight and the candle flame shook every time a bomb fell. If you live like this as a child, and if you have a powerful imagination, it's a fair bet that you will be unwittingly haunted forever by the threat of those bombs. So they become an image of them against us, evil against good, dark versus the light. Imagine how many children there are in this situation today in the Middle East. Yeah, well, I, I mean, she's such a, she's a, story, a storyteller of storytelling, isn't she? That was a story about <laughs> stories. Um, I, I was lucky enough to hear her. I met her um, last year, you know, back in the, the old world. And um, she came to hear a We've been corresponding for, for, for years now as one of the great privileges of joys of my life. Um, and she came to a reading I was doing. And at the end, I sort of looked across this slightly clearing room and I saw this figure at the back of the room. And she just, she is an old one. I mean, she just, there's just, she just, I, I, it couldn't have been anyone other than, than Susan Cooper, who is at least eight, you know, eight, has lived eight, Eight, eight centuries and eight lives and seen seen many worlds and and we we, we had dinner that night with, with Kate her daughter and friends and she told me that story and she did this amazing thing with her finger her finger became the candle flame that was that was shivering and as the bombs fell they would boom boom she would her finger would quiver and then she said she said you know as the bombs came nearer the, the flame quivered more you know, it wasn't this was this was a sense of absolute proximate closing in rising dark and yeah it's it puts a shiver down my spine just to remember her telling that 
Well, we talked about how can you, how can you, we're all in exile from our childhoods and reading is one way we can find our way back. But another way is, uh, of course, music from um, television series we may have seen at an impressionable moment. There's a lot of radiophonic workshop on this show, um, which, which, is a, which is a callback to our Doctor Who episode and forward to our first episode next year, but we can't say what it is yet, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Robert, do you want to tell us, you, you requested that. Well, it, it's the Box of Delights and, and, I, and, and John Macefield's you know, great, great Christmas novel, another that's reread by many, many people annually, uh, and it's from the, yeah, the classic BBC adaptation. And Macefield is the beginning, really, the 19th early 20th century beginning of of the tradition that we spoke about earlier and he was he was grew up in a herefordshire of traveling mummers plays and and sort of eerie stories brought to the village by outsiders and told briefly before they move on and it's all there it's all there in the box delights and wolves and snow and landscape shifting yeah cooper cooper is in that tradition too i i found it very interesting watching the box of delights again certainly cooper is yeah, there's, there's. I don't saying there's a debt owed. I think she would acknowledge that debt. But the links between the box of delights and the dark is rising seem pretty. Like the snow, it's a winter. Book. Yeah, Jackie. This is one of the things about the dark is rising. It's a great story of winter and Christmas. Are there other books that um, have the same feel as this one? I've, I have three that I love very much by Susan Price. Um, and I can never remember which order they come in. It's Ghost Dance, Ghost Song and Ghost Drum, which are out of print, and I have no idea why. Hmm. Um, they're uh, wrapped around Nordic and Russian uh, myths and the Iron Tree and shamanism, and they are just beautiful. And then more recently, um, I started reading a book a couple of years ago now, I think, called uh, Bear and the Nightingale, which wasn't packaged as a children's book. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's beautiful, snowy uh, Russian folklore and fairy tale. It's deeply sexy and rather gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you want, really? No, no. <laughs> and, Robert, the idea of, of this as a winter book... The fact that it isn't just a straightforward Christmas book, you know, it manages to <laughs> encompass traditions which are Christian and otherwise. Um, are there other books <laughs> other than the Box of Delights that 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 do that? Well, I, th- I think it, it's worth 
distinguishing as I as I as I do uh, every year. I hate Christmas. I despise Christmas. Loads it. <laughs> odious festival. But um, but the solstice, the winter solstice. Now that now that is that is the date. Um, the, the 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 day of 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 shortest light and longest dark. The 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 hinge of the year. And for me, it is every year the most hopeful day because you know that the the dark is no longer rising. The light will. The light grows from that point on until that hideous moment in June, Midsummer Eve, when um, when it all tilts back in the other direction. So, so for me, this isn't a Christmas book at all. This is mm. a this is a solstice book. This is a mm. midwinter book. I, I feel the same, but in reverse. <laughs> I, I, I I I I dread the coming of summer. Uh, but, uh, but so I love that. I love this bit. This is the this is the the dark. Um, I do love the dark as well. I live in a um, a place with no streetlights, and when I moved here, it was the first time I really understood moon shadows and and seeing that coming and going of the moon and um, how the Milky Way becomes brighter. Um, and I've. Th- the one uneasiness, I guess, for books like this is when the birds are the kind of bad omens and the wild woods are not places to go. And you mustn't step off the path into the wild woods because that's when the bad gets you. But it's been really strange rereading them um, since meeting Robert because I didn't realise that uh, your whole working life was quite so shaped by these books really yeah um, yeah. with uh, the old, the old ways, ways. Um, yeah. the old ways for sure yeah, yeah. and the spell books yeah. um, with the yeah. words spoken I love that grammar and grammary I mean yeah, yeah. the old old ways lane the, the hallowed the hallowed track the holloways the, it's all it's, I mean these books just they they, they created my the, the landscape of much of my young imagination and mind yeah this is why i think we have to be so careful as people who write for children for people because we shape readers of the future really you know if if we can hook younger minds into reading if we can give them books that are full of light and uh, help them to question their being and their ways. I think that's good because, you know, you look at how these have, have built your world. It's amazing. When I began, children's literature wasn't literature. It was assumed to be books for kiddiewinks. <laughs> the stranger was likely to say, oh, you write children's books? What fun. <laughs> Do you draw your own pictures? Uh, Today the stereotype has changed. A great many adults came across Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and the Twilight series and the successful films made out of them. So crossover reading set in and the publisher's estimate of the upper limit of young adult has risen now from 18 years old to 25. The popular opinion of the children's author has become a little less dismissive because so many grown-ups have discovered us. <laughs> well, I'd like to pick. I'd like you to pick up on that, you know, because so many adults have discovered us. You know that what this book means in 2020 is perhaps both the same and very different from what it meant when it was published. You know, communal read-alongs 
and changes, sociological changes that Susan Cooper was just talking about there. What does this book, Jackie, let me ask you first. You've reread all these books in this particular year. What do they have to offer us in 2020? I think we're living through incredibly challenging times. Um, Can I answer by reading that just that I've got this passage here from the Grey King? Mm. Yeah. Yes, please. So, Will picked up a single blossom from a gorse bush beside him. It shone bright yellow in his grubby hands. People are very complicated, he said sadly. So they are, John Rowland said. His voice deepened a little louder and clearer than it had been. But when the battles between you and your adversaries are done, Will Stanton, in the end, the fate of all the world will depend on just those people and on how many of them are good or bad, stupid or wise. And indeed, it's all so complicated, and I would not dare foretell what they will do with their world, our world. He whistles softly. Turn them up, Hen. Carefully, he picked up his loop of barbed wire, and with the dogs following, he walked away beside the fence and over the hill. And I think it is a hard world. My my daughter is at the moment living in Germany and facing very different circumstances than she might have been facing. Um, it's where she's chosen to live for now. She's a world wanderer and... Uh, I would so love worlds without borders, books without borders as well. Mm. So no classifications. Robert, 2020. Did, did revisiting this book, this book, these books in 2020 feel different? Hugely, hugely. Two, two, two ways. I mean, this, 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 um, the book narrows down to a house around which the storm is skirling, the snow is building, the dark is scrabbling to get in. We have all been you know, pitched back into our dwellings. And we know there's an enemy prowling out there and it, we can't see it and we don't know its ways and it's trying to get in and get us. Um, everything has become suspicious. The air has become suspicious. The, we, we can't share air any longer without mistrusting those we meet. Anyone can be a Maggie because anyone might be a bearer. Um, and the second thing is that the landscape changed. There's that line that I read, it had, when he looked back through the window, he saw that his, his own world had gone with it. In that flash, everything had changed. That's what we all woke up to. Every landscape was changed. Everything we knew was different. All the landmarks had shifted. A snow had fallen, and the world was different. So, happy Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> folks as we like to say on backlisted when the dark comes rising five shall turn it back but now the hour has come for us to say farewell to the lands of men for another year and move beyond time but first a heartfelt thank you to jackie and robert for the spells they've woven to nikki for joining all five of us as one and to unbound for being the first to hang silver on our tree I hope everybody's noticed all the bells in this episode. <laughs> like church bells at the beginning and then some radiophonic bells there, courtesy of Hans Span again. Hans Span 
uh, 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 it's on Bandcamp. It's so great. I've been playing it all week. You can download all 126 previous episodes of Batlisted, plus follow links, clips, and suggestions for further reading by visiting our website at batlisted.fm. And we're always pleased if you contact us on Twitter and Facebook, and now in sound and pictures on Instagram too. You can also show your love directly by supporting our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backlisted. We aim to survive without paid-for advertising. Your generosity helps us do that. All patrons get to hear Backlisted episodes early. And for much less than the price of a puffin box set, they get two extra lock listeds a month. That enchanted circle where we three go to listen, watch, read and tell tales <laughs> in the old tongue. Uh, we'd like to wish all our listeners a very happy Christmas and thank you for the incredible support, financial yes. and otherwise, thank uh, you. that you have shown Backlisted during this r- most difficult of years. We wouldn't be here without you. Um, Jackie, I'm going to ask you to wish everybody listening to this a very <laughs> Merry Christmas. Very happy Christmas to all of you. <laughs> We're going to play out with a song that uh, Robert suggested. Robert, would you like to say um, something about this before we before we queue it up? Well, if the BBC ever does get into making an adaptation of The Dark is Rising in the series, which it which it really should, <coughs> commissioning editors, yes, uh, voices are raised in song here. Um, then, then I think I, you know, I would love Johnny Johnny Flynn to 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 write the music for it, possibly with <coughs> me collaborating on the words. But anyway, that's just <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> what a musician he is, and and here is I think one of his most sort of Cooperish songs from his last album, Silly, and it's called Hard Road. Um, this was recorded uh, as. Robert referred to the old times. This was recorded in 2017 at the Roundhouse in Camden in front of a big room full of people. And so we thought we'd share this version with you. Merry Christmas, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, and thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. dark comes rising, six shall turn it back. Three from the circle, three from the track. Wood, bronze, iron, water, fire, stone. Five will return, and one go alone. Iron for the birthday, bronze carried long. Wood from the burning, stone out of song. 
fire in the candle ring, water from the thaw, six signs the circle, and the grail gone before. Fire on the mountain shall find the harp of gold, played to wake the sleepers, oldest of the old. Power from the green witch, lost beneath the sea, all shall find the light at last, silver on the tree.